Today we're joined by Jenny Radcliffe, who has the awesome title of The People Hacker. How are you doing today, Jenny? I'm great, Eric. Thank you. How are you? I'm fantastic, and I'm really excited to have you on because I interview a wide variety of people, and I do have a special interest in influence with the side of crime. I've had FBI agents on, behavioral engineers, um, Robert Cialdini's personally trained students, people like that. And I kind of feel like all of this information, everything from marketing all the way to a cult are all part of a spectrum. Right. And you, what you do, I feel is the full package. You have to use every one of these techniques from influence to body language to you know full-blown manipulation to achieve your task, which is to break into corporate networks, buildings, et cetera. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, sure. I mean, that that's essentially the job, although I always point out at this stage, I am hired to do so. <laughs> right. But yeah, I mean, we're hired to... Uh, use all of those things uh, to do the same thing as a technical hacker, except I only work with people and psychology. So hence people hacker. Yeah, for sure. Which is actually far more effective. I, I work in IT and I can tell you people are the weak link. Um, right. I don't know if you've well, heard. Go on. Well, they're a weak link, right? Potentially a weak link because as you know, we're all subject to uh, flaws and errors and emotions and things because we're human. Right. I think the weak, you know, this weakest link thing, uh, if we train people properly uh, and, and teach them to what, what to look out for, we can somewhat uh, reduce the potential damage. But yes, I mean, certainly when we, a lot of the time when I'm booked to talk or to train, it's because People say, you know, people think that they're the weakest link in an organization and therefore that's what needs testing and uh, reinforced. Yeah, for sure. Well, it's quite often easier to sneak into the building off of somebody else's employee ID than it is to, you know, crack into the firewall sometimes from the outside. Yeah, because, I mean, the tech, you know, is always improving. It does a pretty good job, you know, and certainly detection, even if it can't prevent uh, a hack or a breach there's certainly uh, it, it's difficult to do that without a digital footprint right but um we can certainly usually find a way of getting into a building and it'll be facilitated by the humans you know exactly and do you take advantage of it i, I imagine one of the biggest tools is people don't like confrontation sure sure it depends on the culture a little bit. Oh, good point. Right. So culturally, uh, the British um, typically uh, won't like uh, too much of a confrontation. Um, but if we go into the Mediterranean, into places like Italy and Spain, that they might be more willing to have a confrontation. And it's gender based as well. So one of the things I always get asked is, 
And maybe you were going to ask me, and I don't want to preempt questions, but no, go you know, does it does it help that you're a woman? You know, and the thing is that that presupposes that the security team are men, but in fact, mm. if it's a female security guard, they would be <laughs> uh, less worried about having a confrontation, right? They'd be more suspicious. Um, so it kind of depends, as everything does. To a certain extent, the context, and then within that context, the individual um, as well. So, you know, we, we all have, we share human tendencies, which I'm sure we're going to get into, but it's the individual as well, for sure. So it just depends a little bit. Well, what I, what I find so fascinating, and I'm guessing you have discovered this too, is that we can fall for things even if we know it's happening to us. Right. Because we're so wired a certain way. We're all wet work. And even though we know that something is going on, we're still kind of falling for it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I mean, one of the things that that is so true, it's is the way emotions affect us, for example, you know, so we can talk to people about, um, when you're being, um, scammed or conned uh, so in security you know we would call it over the phone vishing but -hmm. people might see an email as well so this is a someone who has malicious intent looking to get someone to respond in a certain way and to let them in or give information well what one of the key tricks is to raise the emotional temperature so to get Mm -hmm. someone frightened or angry or even happy right and you know in the case of romance scams you know this lovely attractive person thinks i'm amazing and the reason that we you know that scammers do that i say we do that but scammers do that is because when our emotions are raised our logic drops Mm -hmm. and so we stop making good decisions now the problem with that is we can train people in awareness training um, and in presentations and all those types of things to look out for that and to say, you know, when you feel angry, you know, when, when something looks too good to be true, remember that your decision-making capacity has just plummeted and you might make bad choices, Mm. but we can tell them that. But the problem is, is that when we're in that emotional state, we tend to forget good advice because it takes over. So I always say emotion kicks logic off the cliff. And this, is the, and this is the problem is that we might remember general scams. You know, we might think a lot of people think, oh, well, I would spot a phishing email because this is an email that's spelled badly or asks me for money mm. or, you know, is just silly in some way. You know, no one's going to fall for it. But what they forget is what I would do Um, would be a more tailored attack that would look exactly at that person and what makes that particular person um, drop some defenses. And then it's hard to recognize it. And so people will still fall for it for sure. And I imagine you would bother to take the time to study the person like "Mm, their bank account is at this bank. You know, you can actually make sure that, okay, I'm going to pretend I'm from that bank. And things of that sort. Well, you know, the thing is, Eric, you're right. But it used to be that, so I started this way many, many years ago because I started out when I was very small. But And it used to be that we had to do things in a certain way, surveillance and that type of thing. But now 
we do study people, but it's made so much quicker by the amount of information people put out there about themselves. For example, when you're talking about a bank, if you want to know which bank someone in an organization is with, and we look at the employees of that organization on, say, something like LinkedIn, mm-hmm. and then if you just follow their social media postings, um, what we actually had an incident like this not long ago where we we wanted to uh, get in touch with some employees from an organization to get some information, okay? So we're gathering intelligence to decide how we were going to approach. And I found this lady and uh, she worked in human resources and what she was posting for quite a long time on Twitter was how annoyed she was with her bank, right? <laughs> so, so she's got on Twitter, you know, hey, at, you know, whatever bank it was, um, you know, this is terrible customer service. I've been a customer for 25 years and, you know, you haven't done X, Y, Z. Mm. And so, of course, now... You know, I just need to waste a little bit of time. And then I know her bank. I know she's been a customer for an amount of time and I know she's not happy. So right. if I need to call and pretend to be from that bank, all right, I already have the information. I don't even have to try very hard to find it. I don't need to be skilled. I just need to be nosy. And that's <laughs> the, you know, and that's the problem. People, people don't under, that's the disconnect. You don't, people don't understand when they post these identifiers what someone with malicious intent can do with them and i mean it's a real issue yeah she had to be so easy you could always call her say i was reading what you said about us on twitter and i've been assigned to personally handle your case sure it's like hey margaret i'm calling you from the bank of disneyland and um I've been assigned to make sure that you continue to be a happy customer now i know we've let you down um but we are going to make this right um, if you just bear with me, I'm so sorry you've had these problems. If you just bear with me, I'm going to take you through some identifiers. Um, and what we're going <laughs> to exactly. do is we're going to put this right as soon as possible. Yeah. Can you confirm your address now? Okay. And yeah. the account would be... Okay. Now, the date of that transaction was there. Now, was this your checking or savings? <laughs> you could... Exactly. Right. You'd be great, Eric. That's perfect. <laughs> Thank you. Right. And, and, and if you can give people a few personal identifiers, like you said about the address, right, to confirm the address. Mm-hmm. So if I was to ask someone, um, so if you can just confirm that address, some people um, would be suspicious, right, because I'm the bank, I should know the address. But I can usually, I mean, unless you opt out, and this is as true in the States, varies a little bit state to state, but it's true in most countries, For a very small amount of money, anyone can access the database um, of what we call in the UK the electoral roll, so the uh, registered voters. Um, Mm -hmm. Unless you opt out of that, that's public information. Um, So I could say, just confirming your address is still uh, with the zip code ending 5YZ. And, you know, and and now I'm even more believable. Right. And we've also been trained because I I don't know if you've run into this, but every time I've contacted customer service lately, it seems I give my address and then the rep comes on and says, can I confirm your address? Yes. So the repetition of, oh, this is normal procedure because it's always happening Mm -hmm. means that we're primed. The world has primed us for that. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, you're, our brains are lazy and we are preoccupied and busy and we want to be led 
to a certain extent if it means the least possible uh, trouble and hassle. We can get off the phone. We can finish that transaction. We can make a problem go away. Then that's what people want, right? So a a good hacker will introduce confusion, introduce a problem, introduce emotion, and then give the person um, an easy route out. And that's, you know, the essence of of influence, really. Now, I heard you on, on another podcast and, or video, uh, Mike Winnett. And uh-huh. I was very impressed. I loved how you were talking about what I affectionately, this is a term from Christopher Lockett, but we call them hustle porn stars. Exactly, right? That's a great term. And so I, I love what he was doing. I love how you were describing all of that. And I wanted to uh, go into that. But in that interview, you did talk about, and you mentioned it here, starting this as a child. Yes. Let's go yeah. into that a little bit. Because I'm, I'm like, well, wait, wait what? <laughs> we'll, we'll unpack that, shall we? So, <laughs> so. So I always get asked how I ended up doing what I do and how long I've been in the business. And even though I feel quite old, I'm not that old. But when (laughs) I say to someone it's about 35 years, I need to explain. So here's the thing. Uh, I grew up in part of the UK uh, in a city that a lot of people might know called Liverpool, right? So the Beatles Mm -hmm. and the soccer for people in the States. Thank you. (laughs) <laughs> At the time, yeah, I, I just get, you, you know, whenever your hometown is, is mentioned and you always sort of say, oh, you know the one. Um, <laughs> and at the time, I mean, Liverpool's an amazing city, but we did suffer a lot uh, in, in sort of the 70s and 80s with poverty and, and crime and stuff like that. Before we got European investment, which will probably disappear soon because of Brexit. But anyway, um And so the city was pretty run down and I had a large family and I had lots of cousins who used to look after me. So half my family are law enforcement and military. The other half, you know, not really quite so much. um, (laughs) Two sides of the same coin. (laughs) Yes. And and, and so just like most kids do, you hang out with your friends in the neighborhood and there was an empty house basically, uh, several of them because the city was quite run down. And we used to go and play in these empty houses in the vacation, school vacation. And then we'd say, oh, well, we got in during the day. Let's get in at night, <laughs> and, you know, because it might be haunted. And you're tiny. I was a really little kid. I would have been seven or eight when we started sort of running around and doing this. And lots of people do that when they're younger. But then we kept going and said, well, okay, Let's do somewhere that isn't empty. So let's, for Mm. example, we got into, um, there's lots of museums in my city and there was a museum and we decided it would be great fun to get into this museum um, and try and get locked in overnight. What did you do? Hide in the ceiling tiles? So, well, we just, you see, and this is pre, you know, these days there's security cameras and alarms But back then there was like one, you know, security guy reading the newspaper, falling asleep, walking (laughs) around every hour. We just avoided him. I mean, that's the truth. We just avoided him. We we ran into the toilets. um, We we just changed floors. We used the stairs. The guy was using the lift. And we just got locked in overnight. Mm. 
And it's terrifying. I can tell you now, they made a movie about Night at the Museum. Right. Right. And I remember when I saw that came out and I thought, for a minute, I thought, oh, oh my God, they've taken my story. <laughs> and is this going <laughs> to be like some, you know, cautionary tale about child crime? But but actually, it is terrifying to be locked in a museum at night. And we were locked in and there was a large, uh, a whole floor dedicated to ancient Egypt with mummies and uh. terrifying. But we never, I never like, although we did lots of things like that and it was always very frightening. Um, but it never stopped me doing it. And, and <laughs> there was like, I mean, just another story that was very early on. I think the first one I remember was a zoo. We got into a zoo at night and I wanted to look at a lion and see a lion at night and it kind of threw itself against the cage and, you know, and we, we all went screaming out of the, out of the zoo and there was no security. <laughs> um, and then another time we were, I mean, this is awful and disrespectful, but we were just kids in my defense. <laughs> there was a funeral part. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, teenagers have this morbid fascination with death and things. And let's go and see a body. And we got locked in there as well. And that was that was actually awful and terrifying. And the body was not in the refrigerator. I mean, it was just there. Oh, And then we, you know, we turned, (laughs) we screamed and everything and turned around to bash the door and the door was locked. And we were there all night with the dead body. It was was awful. (laughs) But I always say. Touch of karma. Yes, but it just doesn't put me off, you know. And what happens was I carried on and we never stole anything or broke anything. That really wasn't the point. The point was the same as it is for a lot of hackers. It's just Mm -hmm. that. I was thinking that. Well, I mean, it's there. Right. It's, can it's I get in? I'm not going to do anything. I just want to see if I can look. And particularly if people say you can't, or this is a very, you know, this is too secure. And so I had cousins and older kids sort of teaching me tricks. And um, we carried on doing it for a long time. And I started to learn the skills that I use now. So even though I had a, uh, my bachelor's degree was unrelated and then I got a master's degree, a business degree mm-hmm. alongside all of those things. I was interested in things like influence and persuasion and negotiation and body language and deception work. Who were and, some of your influences in that? If you don't mind. So I was always interested in terms of body language and deception. And, we, and of course in, in the trade, we would never say body language, right? Nonverbals. I studied, uh, Dr. Paul Ekman's work, who, who people may be familiar with from um, the show Lie to Me, is really. Mm. Um, but also uh, uh, David Matsumoto over in Japan. Um, and some of the, um, um, I think Mark Frank as well, who was one of Ekman's sort of proteges and then carried on the field himself. So I studied deception and, 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 and with Ekman initially and then sort of branched out to other sources. Um, and then, it, you know, all of these things that I was studying, um, every time I kind of learned something new, I'd use it to, to take away from me kind of physically breaking in by picking a lock or climbing up a, you know, onto a roof or something and use it to, to talk to people instead and to kind of create rapport 
so that they'd let me in, right. which seems a safer and easier option. Um, and, and, and yeah, and that's how it all started. And I, and I always, even when I was doing my degree and when I was working, I got a proper job, if you like, you know, I was a consultant <laughs> and I was, a, I was in procurement. Um, I always used to get these jobs on the side, you know, well, will you test this building, see if you can get into this building or mm. see if you can do this. And uh, it all sort of culminated. So I, I was building this sort of umbrella skills um, and I was teaching, I was a negotiation consultant and, and I still do do that. And I was teaching all these things. I actually spoke at a conference in Germany and I was approached at the end of the conference in a very clandestine way, you know. So, you know, I was going into my hotel. It was quite late after this conference. And I've been speaking about negotiation and linguistics, right, and the kind of mm -hmm. patterns in linguistics to detect stress and, and, and things like, um, you know, in a pattern of conversation, whether there was someone other people were deferring to. And someone sort of hissed at me out the dark, you know, Jenny Radcliffe. It's mm. like, God, you know, what? And so, uh, yeah, <laughs> man, I didn't know. In, a, in Germany, so not my home country even. And he said, you know, you're a social engineer. And I was like, okay, weirdo, I'm going to run away. <laughs> but I said, yes, I suppose. And, he, and they offered me a job. Mm. And it was like, it wasn't that I hadn't been paid before, but it was an especially a big salary that they offered me and mm. it was to break into a bank mm. in Germany like two days later um and so initially I said no Eric because I have to be quite a moral person uh, the psychology and the skills that I have that in the wrong hands is very manipulative and and and, and criminal sure. so but also I didn't know who these people were um, they could have been real criminals, right? And so right. it was very, um, it was kind of like I said, no. And then he said, we're going to pay you. And he named a figure that was just the most I would ever have been paid in my life for one job. Hmm. So I said, yes, where would you want me to be? <laughs> <laughs> I, no, no, no. I mean, I checked them out a little bit first, but I mean, it was a security firm. They had been hired to do it. There were contracts. Mm. Uh, and what happened was, well, I mean, I turned up to the building and I had uh, an arm wrapped in a bandage. Mm. And I mean, I spoke about this before, but there was biotech. So there was a fingerprint recognition entry uh, lock. Uh. Uh, and I'd bandaged my right hand and I was carrying a lot of files in my left hand mm -hmm. and I get into the bank and it's a very uh, extravagant, very expensive, exclusive kind of place and there's a security guard uh, and I walk straight up to the biotech, straight up to the fingerprint uh, entry as if I did it every day. Mm. And this and this is one of the things that, that's really important. It's 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 not really acting, but it's it's confidence, right? right. It, it, you have to believe yourself that you're capable of it. You have I to just belong. Up, yeah, sure. And there's lots that, and yeah, you know, I don't even speak German, so. <laughs> <laughs> but like, and I put my finger on the lock, and it doesn't let me in. 
And I try again and it doesn't let me in. And I swore quite loudly and dropped all the files and created <laughs> this fuss. And of course, the security guard doesn't want that in his reception. Right. And this is the key. The absolute key to it is I don't look dangerous. Mm. Right? I'm ju- I just look like a normal person, a colleague. And he let me in. And of course, he shouldn't have let me in because the minute that I get past, I take the bandage off, I dump the files. Um, and I was in uh, the office of you know all of the managers. I took files. I got passwords. We put key loggers into. Oh, nice! <laughs> Thumb drives. Had some fun. And you know, and I was in and out probably in ninety minutes. Um, and that bank, if I'd been a criminal, were really compromised. You know, so it's. Uh, yeah, my mum thinks I uh, work with computers. <laughs> <laughs> well, after a fashion. <laughs> yeah so. what i really especially appreciate about that is it was one mistake mm. that let you in yeah it only takes one slip yeah it, it it's just and it's i mean i've been doing it obviously now for years and years i mean but the reason that germany was significant was after i did that I, I came out in public and said, this is what I do for a living. Mm. And, you know, when I look, I'd given interviews about negotiation and about influence tactics and all sorts of things long before I came out and said, this is what I did as a job, because it really has only been acceptable to say that you're a, a burglar for hire <laughs> right. in the last few years, right? Because of the security industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, True. And it, I don't know if you're familiar with Kevin Mitnick. Yes, of course. Okay. Well, he, I, I feel like his example is like the perfect proof of the social engineering versus the computer engineering. Because as you read through, he hacked people. Yeah. He was and he always says doing it. Time. He said there is no patch for human stupidity. That's what he said. <laughs> it's true. And, you know, that's a bit mean. Um <sighs> It's it's mean because anyone with the right script can be caught out, including Kevin Mitnick. And he probably oh, sure. would not say any different. That's but, true. I actually have had uh, Chase Hughes on. He's okay. a, another behavioral engineer. Mm-hmm. And his favorite, shall we say, counterparts, he ran a lot of prisons and things like that. He right. loves cocky people. They're the oh. easiest for him. Oh my god! So I, I'll tell you right. I was at a, I was in the states and I was speaking at a conference. Absolutely gorgeous. I was in California. I was in Santa Barbara. Um, and it wasn't someone at the conference, right? But it was a real swanky event, you know. And and I was uh, actually it was during the uh, the soccer World Cup. And England had just been knocked out and I was really unhappy and I was at the bar kind of not wanting to do anything. And this guy had, had seen my picture and that was there because I was going to do this talk. Mm-hmm. And he said, oh, he says, uh, you're a hacker. Now, kind of like I am, but most people, when they think of a hacker, don't think of someone like me. They think of, a, you know, 
a white male usually in a hoodie, usually behind a keyboard with a b- so bottle I, of Mountain Dew and yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, and no friends, right? That's what people think, and it's a, sure. it's a cliche, but it's that's what people think. So I kind of said yes. I said, and, and and he said, oh well, I work for gigantic electronic company that we've all would know. Hmm. And I said, well, actually, I said I'm not really. A hacker. I'm a social engineer, and he said, "Oh, we love you guys. We are ready for you. Just you, just try." Oh. And and the thing is, number one, I'm not hacking you unless you pay me. Right? It's right. not a hobby. <laughs> it takes time and effort. And number two, it's such a stupid thing to say because you're kind of painting a target on yourself. Sure. You know, you. D- it's like saying, "I dare you to." Right. Right. You know. Uh, so Chase is right. Arrogance is, it's like in a negotiation as well. When people say, oh, oh you know, I, I'm a Rottweiler. Right. And we get, you know, well, that's, that's actually quite easy to deal with. You know, the more one dimensional and dominant a single trait is, the easier that is to counter. Mm-hmm. You, you see, know? he said that people that give him the most trouble have a lot of humility. They're not sure of themselves. And he has a nightmare of a time with them because it's hard to get them to commit on one thing or another. And that's trickier to manipulate. Yeah, I mean, he has a good point. Because what you're looking for, if someone's very indecisive Mm -hmm. uh, and dithers a little bit, um, you really have to push a bit harder to get them to do what you want. And that means you're on the you know, on the phone or in contact longer and there's more chance of, you know, of your pretext or your, you know, the deception coming un- unraveled. He actually had a couple of questions um, for you himself. I, okay. I tend to have previous guests and I love talking about other guests and introducing them, but he wanted to know if you've ever used a wheelchair in a social engineering engagement. I personally haven't. I have a friend who's a very good social engineer who is a double amputee. Mm. Uh, and I, I have a um, a podcast as well. He came on in the very early days, and he said to me, n- "He has never stopped, ever." Right? Oh, and he's an it. extremely good um, technical hacker. But he says in hotels, he said, "I can go anywhere I like, so I can just say I need I need the bathroom. Someone take me now." And he says, and they'll just leave him because obviously nobody wants to offend him. So right. I haven't. The nearest, I, I suppose, to anything like that was uh, when I was pregnant, I worked almost to the last minute because uh, I was so busy because nobody stops a pregnant lady. I can imagine. Nice. I thought of your bandaged arm earlier, too, and I was like, oh, Ted Bundy's old trick. Yes, now you say it. <laughs> yes, and then he bundled them in the back of the van. That's mm-hmm. true. I never, I've never thought of that before. But that's true. He did. Oh my god. Yeah, it's disturbing, and that's when I said <laughs> everything. Terrible. Everything's on a spectrum. So you go from Zig Ziglar all the way to Jim Jones. Mm-hmm. It's all in there. It's, it could be very, it could be useful, or it could be evil. Well, you you play on people's weaknesses, and you know if you th- now I think if you think about it. You're looking at your target mm-hmm. and you're looking at what will work to drop the defenses of a target. Right. So for me, when I bandaged my arm, 
it really wasn't about the bandage. It was that I didn't want someone to help me, but I right. wanted something that would facilitate a fuss, right? You know, a big, you know, loud, a commotion, if you will, right. in a building that I knew would hate that because it was very refined and uh, very rich clientele and, and, and it was very sort of quiet. And I'd, I'd done, I knew that from surveillance and some research. Now, in the case of Bundy, you know, he's looking at enlisting, um, he's looking at kidnapping mm-hmm. uh, women, right? And so what, he's, what, he's, what he played on were two things. And one of them, you know, you, I mean, obviously, you know, Cialdini. One mm-hmm. of them is, you know, this is a person who is likable. He's yep. attractive. Mm-hmm. And now he needs help. So we're going to play for empathy and sympathy as well. And these are the things that we work on in scams and cons and hustles all the time. What are the what are the human characteristics and what are the atmospherics, the environmental conditions? And that is the thing that colors the scam. Oh, right. Sure. So but but when a lot of the time when I hear people talking about social engineering, they'll talk about tailgating. You know, you mentioned it before. So I'm just gonna follow someone in. Mm-hmm. And hope they hold the gate open for me, and then I, you know, either I have a dummy card or I have no card to let me into the office or whatever. But for me, that is a less elegant attack. Right. Right. What you should be doing is taking the cultural temperature of that target, doing your research, and knowing which characteristics to exploit to make sure you're successful. And that's that's why I guess. Now you raise it. That's why Bundy was so clever because he used two influence principles really. You know, oh sure. Um, Likeability and 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 sympathy, empathy slash sympathy, right? And he also um, reduced his um, threat. He wasn't as threatening. He was injured. Well, this is true, and this is what I was saying before. The problem is, is people expect a criminal to behave like a criminal, right? To look and sound threatening. Exactly. Um, and, and, and one of the reasons I've been so successful in my job is that I don't. So people underestimate, um, you know, a chubby little woman and they probably shouldn't. You know, um, there's a, a book by Malcolm Gladwell just came out last week. Mm-hmm. talking to strangers i really recommend you check it out okay and this this topic here is a big part of it he was talking about how one we suck at detecting lies because yeah. we have expectations and we have first off he said most people default to truth well that's, that's and that's necessary. a weakness well yeah, it's to survive necessary. as yeah? a species because otherwise we'd be paranoid Right, and nobody could ever get anywhere or get along or anything like that, and you'd be miserable to be around. Yeah, or you'd work in security. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I imagine that you have that mindset. It's kind of hard to turn off. You know, every time you talk to a waiter, okay, yeah, they're doing this. Or anywhere you go, you've seen the sausage be made. Mm -hmm. And that, that really... I'm sure isn't very fun. So the thing with deception, 
work and with a lot of these things, but particularly with deception work and, and as you know, facial expressions and things is on the one hand, once you learn those techniques and use them, you know, you've got to practice, right? Because if you, if you don't, sure. it, it goes. But once you learn to observe people carefully and once you learn to be uh, sort of more vigilant in your surroundings, you, you can't unsee those things. Right. Right. So, like, you know, the, the micro expression for uh, disgust mm-hmm. is a wrinkled nose. And the top lip pulls back, right? It's also contempt, isn't it? Contempt is uh, similar. uh, It's well, contempt is. is, Well, you see, this is where I get to be a geek. Good, I love it. Actually, contempt is completely different. So contempt. So okay, if you think of a food that you don't like, right? So I Hmm. hate canned tuna fish. If I see canned tuna fish, I sort of make the noise. Right. So your right. tongue goes out a little bit, your top lip comes up and your nose wrinkles. Right. Yeah. Gotcha. Content- and that is all we and so disgust is pretty much at anything that we find repulsive. All right. Phys- like usually a, an object that we find to be um, distasteful, something we wouldn't like the smell of. And it's hard to hide. It's very well, all of them pretty much are hard to hide. Right. It's just that they micro expressions are very quick. So right. you've got to learn to catch them. But disgust is one that when I'm training people to see microfacial expressions, that's one of the easiest ones to see because it's fairly pronounced, right? That little nose wrinkle. But contempt is the only facial expression, the only micro expression that is only happens on one side of the face. And, and, and what mm-hmm. happens with contempt is we sort of look down our nose and we... Um, we activate the buccinator muscle, which is on the is in your cheek. So it's the it's the muscle in your cheek that gives you a dimple. So if you can imagine, I always say to people, this is the expression that my mother in law has when she <laughs> finds out that I'm going away on business again for ten days, you know, and I'm mm-hmm. not there to cook dinner every night for my family. It's like, well, you know, it's that, mm. and it's always directed at a person, or pretty much always. Mm. Um, so, so, so yeah, th- th- those are the, those two. Um, I, I remember, I guess content popped in my mind because they've done studies on it that that micro expression between couples is a, like a 99.9% guarantee that they will be divorced. Yeah. Yeah. I forget the, um, just off the top of my head, I forget whose work that was, but, but yes, <laughs> because obviously if you think, because what contempt is, is a feeling of superiority over another person. Mm-hmm. So obviously, if you feel massively superior to your spouse, then that's not going to be great for your relationship. <laughs> Definitely not. Now, um, what was it? Chase had a couple more questions for you. I don't know if you have these ones, but, but he was wondering, what is one trick that shall we say the audience can use to negotiate better deals with companies or do you deal with that kind of thing? So we train, um, I don't shout about this very much because I just don't, right? Because the security works more popular and, and, and whatever. And, but I train and have for years, uh, trained corporations and agencies, if you like, mm-hmm. at all levels of negotiation. My focus is psychology. So I take, I, 
So we call it the dark arts, right? The, the Jedi mind <laughs> trick course. So we do it all the time. And actually, I, was, I, I did three days of the, this this week in London. And I suppose, you know, people always want, um, I guess, a silver bullet here. Right. And, and there are some, actually. But one of the things I said, well, there's two, th- I can give you, I mean, do you want the real dark stuff or do you just want a tip? <laughs> Let's have it all. I'm greedy. Let's have it all. all right, <laughs> so perhaps the most obvious point, um, and I highly recommend a book by uh, Professor Stuart Diamond on this. It's called Getting More. Okay. Is you have to see the picture in the other person's head. Right. So mm-hmm. when we negotiate, what we do is you have to you don't have to sympathize, but you have to empathize with what the other person is seeing coming at them. Right. Mm-hmm. So in other words, it, it, it's understanding where they're coming from. And what I always say is to change someone's mind, you have to be somewhat in it. Mm. So what you have to do is say, if I was them, what do I see? Like, what is this situation like? So we start from there. Uh, And then what we say would be, uh, what is that person? I mean, this is is dark, and I'm not going to give you too much in it, but everyone (laughs) is motivated, because it really is. But everyone is motivated towards positive things and negative things. Sure. And the negative, as you would know from psychology books and everything that, that you know, the negative is far stronger than the positive. Yes, loss aversion is probably the number yeah. one tool to keep people hooked. For sure, right? So, so we, we fear the loss of something we value more than we are drawn to the potential gain of something of value, right? True. So what you do is you have to tune in to what that person really fears, and that is why it's dark. Like, what is the last thing that that person would give away? What would they hold on to? What makes that person, how do they define themselves? You know, they can't sleep tonight. It's, you know, it's 2 a.m. They're staring at the ceiling. What is the thing that they cling on to? What is the thing that they worry about? And when we find out what that is, we link their behavior to that. And that will make someone change their mind. Oh, it's so, it is pretty evil. (laughs) But the thing is that we always do it. I mean, it's, it's done everywhere around you. How many times are they, everything is worded in a manner that it's almost gone. Um, I don't know if you've noticed, I love doing this when I see an ad for something and I go to the site and they say Mm -hmm. 17 left. I love refreshing the page and seeing 24. 62, yeah, but 10. You, you know, what they've done is they've gone to YouTube and they've put in Shaldini and they've pressed a video that's five minutes long. <laughs> yes. And gone, oh, scarcity, that works. Right? Exactly. So, you know, people sometimes know it, but people sometimes do it subconsciously. But when, but what I'm talking about is the very deliberate uh, sure. sort of dissection of someone's psychology so for i can i can illustrate what i just said with an example that'd be awesome so i have um 
a couple of years ago, I had clients who were, they worked for universities in the UK. And there are very particular procedures around uh, procurement. I'm sure there are in the States, but there's paperwork and there has to be a, a tender process, right? You know, three or four quotes and all this. Sure. And their main problem was that academics didn't obey the process. So they were people with power within the university, you know, so they had referent power, they had a positional power, and they were going around the process. And those uh, executives at the unis, um, this is a big problem for them because then the deal would be done with a supplier, say, and they'd have to go and negotiate when the supplier already knew that they had the contract because they'd spoken to the academic, right? So due uh-huh. process, not followed. So what I said to them was, how do we get to the academics, right? And I do apologize to any academics listening. So what does an academic want? Oh, recognition, research to be published, you know. Okay. Tenure. <laughs> Ten, which leads to tenure to a certain extent right and, and to the demand right so but but mostly they want and they want that research their life's work right their focus to be published they don't care necessarily whether the research question is right or wrong but they do want the credit for the research and be able to put their research out there mm-hmm. so i said okay what gets in the way of that right well there are certain deadlines number one, to publish research for different universities. And number two, there's always another guy working on the same research, right? <laughs> so so what they really don't want is, you know, this professor in Liverpool doesn't want another professor in New York to get there first and kind of gazump that research, right? Right. So now we have what they desire and what they fear. So. I say to, so I say, and I don't tell them they have to come up with it, but I say, so now, how do you persuade an academic? What, what is your biggest stick? And of course, the biggest stick is time, right? Mm-hmm. If you don't do things the way we want them to do, if you don't follow due process, then we will, de- you know, things will be delayed and your research will be late to be published. Oh, nice. Whereas, and remember, this one is a lot less, we can help you get things done quickly if you follow a few rules. Right. So the stick is far bigger than the carrot, but the stick is the thing that they emphasize. And of course, oh, well, could that get in the way? Well, yes, it can. Nice. Nicely done. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And suddenly we had compliant academics. (laughs) <laughs> and I mean, you know, not across the board, because mm-hmm. not everyone is exactly the same and situations change. But it's the premise that we're talking about, right? It's the idea of understanding someone acutely and then understanding how we can use that to change their behavior. It's never about you as the negotiator. It's about the other person as a human being, as an individual on the other side of the table and that can be very very powerful but also quite manipulative in the wrong hands and i've just told everyone who listens to this how to do it 
Good show. (laughs) Rock and roll. (laughs) Well, and the thing is that some of the, the I think we already into it and know. I mean, we learned to manipulate as a child to get a toy, to get food, to get whatever. You know, we do. But you know what my problem with that is, right? This is true. And you're right. But people get lazy. <laughs> well, no, that's true. Yes. That's like. So do you know the movie um, Gone in 60 Seconds? Uh, yes, it's not a stellar movie, but yeah. <laughs> so Nicolas Cage, Angelina Jolie. And yep. they, right. So they're, and, and they're car thieves and they're stealing cars. And there's this point where one of these car thieves is stealing a car. And this kid comes up to him, puts a gun to the window of the car and says, you know, give me the car. And the guy sort of can't believe me, punches him. And he looks at this kid, he punches him and, and he says, you kids need better role models. <laughs> that's, that's a lazy way of stealing a car. Right. right. And, 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 that, and that is always my problem with, yes, we learn how to do some level of manipulation just as human beings, as children. But what people don't do, and the reason that, you know, we can teach negotiation and influence is because we kind of get lazy and think it's easy. And it actually isn't easy. It's not easy to switch perspectives. It's not easy to listen to language and to watch someone all the time. And I think your question was, you know, do I ever switch it off with waiters? And 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 we got onto sort of micro expressions and things. Right. The, the truth is, once you see that, once you see that disgust expression, once you notice the, the little dimple in the cheek that, that may mean contempt, we've got to be very careful because context is everything, okay? Sure. Once we see that, um, once you learn to do it, you're right, it's very difficult to switch it off and to unsee it. But, and it's a huge, huge uh, however, um you couldn't possibly be that focused all the time, you know? So whilst I always see it, um, to switch something on and be that focused is exhausting and it's very particular kind of frame of mind. Sometimes it clicks in if I see um, a potential safety or security issue or if someone's just, you know, if if kind of like my spidey sense kicks Mm -hmm. off and Mm -hmm. I think, okay, I'm going to focus on this more. But the majority of the time, uh, I might notice things, but I would dismiss it because I'm human too. And I've got to focus on getting through my day. And if I honestly analyzed everyone I saw, I would never get anything done, you know? So it's, it's both. You know? Well, and I'm guessing too, that a lot of it is like, okay, so they're doing that, but who cares? It doesn't really matter to you that much or doesn't affect you directly or that contempt. Maybe it was for the kitchen and not necessarily you. Exactly. Or, or, you know, the disgust might not be my my lasagna. I've just saved everyone. It might be they're thinking about something else. And let's right. hope so, because I'm cooking again tomorrow. Right. <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah. Yeah, for sure. So do you do that in a way, almost turn on a little bit of a willful ignorance? Unless something screams at you, you just kind of like, yeah, whatever. Well, Yes, and I mean, I mean to 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 a massive extent. Yes, and what what's? But if I'm a, if I'm a, if I'm grumpy, um, and this is just a terrible confession to make, but if I'm grumpy or I'm in a bad mood, then I might switch it on a little bit more and be a little <laughs> bit more aware. 
<laughs> you know. So, for example, we were on vacation this year, and um, really, uh, one of our neighbours um, decided to pick a fight about, of all things, uh, a, a car parking space, right? So we're in a tiny little place um, on, on the coast, on the south coast of England. There's almost no parking spaces. And yet we pay for this, uh, extra for this space outside the, the place where we stay, a little cottage we stay. Mm -hmm. And they wanted the space, right? And I'm not really going to, because of the job and because of a million things, it's not that I'm easygoing because I'm really not, but I don't pick fights very very easily right and we were happy to to kind of come to a um, a partway solution right but this lady she just wouldn't let it go and she was pushing and pushing uh and i just instead of just sort of arguing like uh like a like a regular person i argued and switched all the skills on mm. <laughs> so that i so what I said was far more cutting, and that's a bad thing to do. But basically, <laughs> you caused psychic damage to her. <laughs> so she she'd left a letter. She wrote us a letter explaining all the reasons why they wanted this car parking space. Which remember, I'm not that wedded to, but we did pay for. Right. But when I look at that linguistically uh, and everything that says within that, I knew what type of person she was. And of course, when she wouldn't stop arguing with me, I basically said, "Let's call it what? What name should we call her? You suggest one, Eric. Uh, Just to give Betty. her a name. Pardon? Betty. Betty. So <laughs> you know, Betty. And you know, bear in mind, this is without me looking her up, right? So I could do some open source intelligence. I could find out where she worked and find out a million <laughs> things about it. And I and I really don't, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, Betty, I know that you prefer to write to people rather than confront them. And I think that in the past, people probably point that out to you and say that there's a passive aggressive nature to the things that you do, you know, that you refer to authority and yet never take responsibility for the damage your opinions cause. Am I right, Betty? And of course, Betty, I am exactly right. And now <laughs> Betty is really like perturbed. And so, you know, Betty, there's lots of ways that you could have persuaded us to help you. We were prepared to help you. But instead, you went for the lowest cut and, you know, and on and on it goes. Oh, and God. in the end, she screamed at me. You don't know me. How do you know me? And <laughs> ran away. And, and, and because there are all these indicators within what people do, within sure. what they write, the way they act, the way they relate to other people. And, and none of us are perfect and behave well, right? Because that's not me behaving well either. <laughs> um, but when someone can see it and takes the trouble to really analyze it, it, it will demolish a person if, if, if it's done properly. Um, and, and, you know, I'm not going to demolish Betty, but I'm going to make Betty back off and give me my car park space back. <laughs> She'll still suffer a little. She's probably still upset. <laughs> She, I mean, she probably is, right? But, I mean, I really tried everything to stop it getting to that. Um, but people don't let things go, you know? Wow. So, to wrap things up, uh -huh. what one thing would you recommend that people do to secure themselves from, be it manipulation or anything else? 
It really needs to be two things. Okay. If that's okay. Well, I could give you more than two, but let's of say. Of course, okay. First the first most important thing is their online behavior. So these days we're all using social media. Mm-hmm. Even if you personally don't have accounts on uh, platforms like Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, family and friends will, right? But let's assume that we have our own accounts. Mm-hmm. First thing is people have got, you've got to make them more private, right? Using your full name, pictures of your children, uh, pictures of your hobbies, checking in when we eat every burger that we ever eat. <laughs> All of those things can be used to build a profile that social engineers will will use against you. So the first thing is privacy settings should be whatever you're comfortable with, right? I'm a great believer in not telling someone what level of, of information they share, but making sure that it's a conscious choice, okay? Mm-hmm. So for example, Facebook, friends and friends of friends only, maybe to see your posts rather than anyone who's got access to the net is an example. Okay. And Facebook to their credit and people don't credit Facebook a lot. They do make it easier to do that these days. All right. So be careful what you post for God's sake. And you know, honestly, I shouldn't say that, but you don't reuse passwords. Mm -hmm. Use a strong password unique to every site. And if people say, oh, my goodness, you know, that's going to take me forever. The browser's built it in now. It's really handy. Hopefully. We're generating like one. I I don't know. I I will say I use um, randomly generated passwords for every site I do. But most people don't, Eric, honestly. They don't. They, They reuse it, and it's always out there. So if one account is hacked, everyone is hacked. So take your top three most used online sites. So for a lot of people, that might be a shopping site, a social media site, and the bank, for example. And make sure you don't reuse those passwords. Now, that's basic cybersecurity with a little bit of protecting your identity and information. But in terms of scammers, social engineers, and con artists, this is what happens in almost every scam. And that's whether you meet someone face to face, even in, you know, the whole world of deep fakes and, you know, this video of me speaking could not be, you know, might not be me. Right. What you need to remember is the minute someone asks for money or asks you to take action, click on a link, you know, change the platform, download an attachment, tell me about money. It should just be this massive red flag that that might not be um, a, a, you know, a credible person at the end of the phone. That might be someone who's trying to con you. So when they mention money, when they ask you to do something, that is the point when what, what people should do is step back, don't do anything, step back, maybe talk to someone and say, do you think this sounds legitimate? Mm-hmm. But the minute that we step away from it and take some time, um, that emotional uh, red mist starts to to go away. We become a little bit more rational and then we make a decision. That is the thing that um, every con artist and scammer relies on, relies on people taking the action that they ask them to take. And if people just stopped and thought about it, I think we'd be, we'd be much safer and more secure um, as a species. Awesome. 
I was actually thinking that a pause for everything. Yeah, because we we act so fast, and in fear we act fast. You know, if someone says, you know, uh, you you get an email, Eric. You know, you were speeding, uh, and if you pay this ticket straight away, it's only half uh, the fine. Right. And you think, God, you know, when was that? Maybe I was speeding. And if they're good, <laughs> they might say, well, we know, you know, this guy said this is where he works and this is his address. So we're going to say he was speeding down, you know, the most likely freeway um, at, on a, you know, a, a Tuesday morning, round about the time he'd, he'd be leaving for work. And it sounds very plausible. Right. And and you, you, you really need to just step back and say this could be fraudulent. And then what we say to people is externally verify. So, you know, if, if they say they're the bank, put the, you know, don't answer the email. Don't continue the conversation on the phone. Step away and call the number that you found from the back of the bank statement or from right. the bank's website. And that will stop. So that the basic things, but it would stop so much fraud and so much misery in this world caused by people who use these techniques uh, to take the money off people who've earned it, um, to, to take away people's peace of mind. Um, and that's really my whole job, and that's really why I didn't, uh, despite breaking into buildings from the age of seven, it's why I'm not a criminal. It's why, hopefully, I'm still on the side of the angels. <laughs> that's a wonderful point to conclude. Now, people can find you at humanfactorsecurity.co.uk. Sure. Uh, or if you search for the people hacker, um, you'll find me as well. I'm quite, e- you know, funnily enough, I'm quite easy to find. So I've got <laughs> YouTube's, uh, we've got YouTube, Human Factor Security, and all over Twitter. So yeah, I'm easy enough to find, Eric. Thank you. Well, hey, thank you so much for coming on. No, I enjoyed it. Thank you for asking me. <laughs> Thanks for listening. And if you like what you heard, please consider subscribing for free. And I mean for free. It is always free. There's no billing, anything else. You can subscribe in your player of choice, which is probably right in your hands. Or you can go to unstructuredpod.com. And there are plenty of links there. Thank you so much. And in the spirit of sharing, here's a couple more shows you may want to check out. Hi, I'm Tyson Franklin, the host of It's No Secret with Dr. T, which is a small business and marketing podcast. Each week, I interview business leaders who openly share the secrets to the massive success. It's No Secret with Dr. T will educate, entertain, and inspire you. Check it out. You'll find it wherever you listen to podcasts, or you can go to my website, TysonFranklin.com. I did not grow up with very much money. Money's energy. Money is something that, that really scares me. You had about 60 grand in debt. Money isn't the answer. Somebody should just give me a lot of money. My dream was to be the WWE wrestler, but you realize that your dreams change over the years. Money's a tool. It's a key to a gate. And at the other side of the gate is the things that you really want to do with your life. It's the things that matter most to you. It's pursuing those values that make you ultimately happy. Listen to Inspired Money at inspiredmoney.fm.